This morning, we are back with Jesus. We are back with Jesus telling stories. And over the past while, we have seen how important and how useful stories can be. We've seen together as we have journeyed through some of the parables of Jesus, how stories and storytellers are popular the world over. We've seen how as individuals and as a community and as a world, we love story. But we've also seen how we live in the stories that we tell ourselves. We've seen that we pass stories on from one generation to the next to try and communicate something that we feel is important about how we see the world in which we live, something of our worldview, and some of our history. Story holds the attention. Story enables people to see themselves. And we have saw how that story, while dealing with the complex, always explains it in a way that introduces a subtle twist that fascinates and makes the hearer reflect. In fact, writing in this week's New Statesman, one writer observes, the contemporary gaze has turned lately towards stories. There is something in stories that are essential to our sense of what it means to be adequately human. Children intuitively grasp this, and what makes sense to them tends to be what truly nourishes, and so what deeply informs the adults that they become. Nor is it an accident, the writer continues, that all the great religions are founded on stories. The King James Bible translation, he goes on to say, from the Greek of the opening of of the gospel according to St. John, which we know so well, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, can as well be translated, in the beginning was story, and the story was with God, and the story was God. He concludes, unlike our materially-minded age, the ancient world respected stories as the proper reflection of a reality too myriad and complex to define simply in naturalistic terms. The stories we tell or try to tell, the stories that we share with others, those that others tell about us, matter. Stories matter. Stories mattered to Jesus. Stories matter, but this morning as we come to this story of Jesus, we see that foundations equally matter. Stop for a moment, if you will, and think with me about the house that you left this morning to come to here, to church. If I was to ask you to describe your house, I'm sure that many of you would be able to tell me perhaps I hope you would be able to tell me its location, 
the color of that house, the design, maybe even if you're into those sort of small details or have recently moved house, you'd be able even to tell me the small, uh, the square footage of the property. But you'd be able to tell me things like the number of bedrooms, the size of the kitchen, maybe even a little bit about the ground that surrounds it. But as we begin to talk, I'm sure not many of you would turn your attention to tell me about the property's foundations. Perhaps you don't even know anything about the foundations of your house. I don't. But in Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 3 we read, By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. This is not only true of your house, but this morning as we come to this parable, we see that it is equally true about our lives. Foundations matter. Winchester Cathedral was built in 1093, Europe's oldest Gothic church. It stands proudly and magnificently. The cathedral is a sight to behold. In 1905 then, some serious signs of structural weakness appeared in the cathedral. Ominous cracks began to develop. Some architectural experts were called in, and some suggested that maybe the best course of action would be to put buttresses against the walls to hold them up. Others suggested perhaps what might be best would be to tie rods to hold them together. And finally, an expert suggested that maybe the foundations should be probed. So deep shafts were dug to the foundations. And they discovered that the great cathedral had actually been constructed on a bog. The original builders, it later transpired, had used tree trunks laid on flat, watery soil to rest the building. The miracle was the fact that the building was even still standing in 1905. So they decided that what they would do then would be to send a man in a deep-sea suit diving down into the water of the bog and to begin work at restoring the cathedral. Five and a half years later, the foundations were no longer rotting. Foundations matter. 1905. Skip forward, if you will, to 2002, and the Leaning Tower of Pisa has finally been reopened to the public after having been closed for almost a dozen years. During that time, engineers completed a $25 million renovation project designed to stabilize the tar. Why was this necessary? Well, simply because the tar had been tilting and tilting and tilting for years. The Italian authorities were so concerned that something would have to be done before it collapsed. What was the problem with the Leaning Tower of Pisa? Was it bad design? Was it poor workmanship? Was it inferior marble? No, the problem was underneath. The sandy soil on which the city of Pisa was built was just not stable enough to support a monument of this size. The tar had no firm foundations. 
foundations matter. And then finally, the great architect Frank Lloyd Wright was given the challenge of building an imperial hotel in Tokyo, one of the most earthquake-prone cities in the world. Wright's investigation of the site where the hotel was to be built showed that a solid foundation could be floated on a 60-foot layer of soft mud underlying the hotel, which would provide shock-absorbing but solid support for the immense building. Shortly after the hotel was completed, it withstood the worst earthquake the city saw for 52 years, while lesser buildings fell around it. Foundations matter. Foundations matter, and so do the attitudes of the builder. In Matthew chapter 7, which we read together this morning, we see how Jesus compares and contrasts two different builders, one wise, one foolish. He emphasizes how strong it is to have a solid foundation. But Jesus' use of this building metaphor shouldn't come to us as a surprise, because after all, Jesus was the son of a carpenter. As part of the father's firm, I'm sure that Jesus built furniture that went in to many people's homes. He may even have been involved in building the foundations for many people's homes as well. Jesus, it would appear in this parable, knows the difference between a solid house and a shoddy one. However, his story this morning is not just for architects, carpenters, and contractors, but rather also for you and for me. Because building a house, Jesus uses that analogy here as a way to talk to us, to tell us and instruct us how to build our lives. Jesus is emphasizing the point that it is equally as important for us to build our lives on firm foundations as it is for a builder to build a house on one. Jesus instructs us to build our lives on a strong foundation. He says the only way to do so is by obeying his words. He opens his parable in chapter 7 with the word, therefore. And what has come before has been the sermon in the mount. And in the light of what Jesus has been teaching his disciples and followers up until this point, what he is saying is that everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Jesus urged them and urges us to hear his words. But he doesn't stop there. He challenges us then to not only hear his words, but to respond to them. And if you're going to build on a solid foundation, Jesus is telling us that you must do what I am telling you. Jesus is saying to us this morning that hearing his words is just not enough. This morning, we want to ask ourselves as individuals and as a community of faith, are we building our lives on his words only? Or are we building on our, li- our lives on the words that we have heard and doing 
something with them. You can know all the words of Jesus, but if you never put them into practice, you're not living the life that he has called you to. Building our lives on a firm foundation. Because things in life can happen. And Jesus goes on to illustrate this as he develops his train of thought in the parable. Jesus says, And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it didn't fail, for it had been founded on a rock. Jesus, in this parable this morning, pulls no punches. Jesus says, when the rain came, not if. Jesus says, when the storm came, not if. Jesus said, when the wind blows, not if. Jesus this morning is telling us straight up that storms will come. Anyone, Jesus is telling us, can build a house that will stand firm when the sun is shining and the wind is still. But when the storm comes, it is then that the true strength of our foundations are revealed. In 1992, Hurricane Andrew destroyed thousands of homes in South Florida. Yet in an area where wreckage looked like a war zone, one house remained standing, still and firmly anchored to its foundation. When a reporter asked the homeowner why his house had not been blown away, he replied, I built this house myself. I built it according to the law that was required. I built according to a code that I was told could withstand a hurricane, and it did. This morning, that house had a firm foundation. Do we, as individuals, have our lives built on a rock? Jesus then presents the alternative. From this story of stability, he moves to a story of sand. Jesus illustrates to us how dangerous it can be if we build our, our houses on the wrong foundation. He says in verse 26, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The opposite of the wise man is the foolish man. The foolish builder had also heard Jesus' words but didn't act upon them. Why did the foolish man build his house on the sand? Had he miscalculated the weather? Had he thought that every day was going to be sunshine? Had he thought that his life was always going to be smooth? So he figured out that sand would actually be okay as a foundation. Let's face it. It's appealing to build on sand because sand is often found in very nice places. Look at all the beaches that we enjoy. It's adequate. It's easy. Who wants to have to dig down deep if you don't have to? But this morning as we come to this parable of Jesus and his teaching, what we discover is that it actually takes more work to build our lives on the rock. It takes more time and it takes more energy and it costs more. 
It's easier and it's faster to build on sand. It's always easier to take shortcuts in building a home. It's cheaper to use inferior materials. And for a while, while no one may notice, somewhere along the line, you may just pay for the choices that you made. And the same thing happens to this second house. Because Jesus closes his parable with a storm warning. He tells us that the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and slammed against that house and it fell and great was its fall. Jesus concludes his parable and the entire Sermon on the Mount with an illustration of warning rather than encouragement. We discover that the crowds are gathered. And we discover that the crowds are amazed at the manner of his teaching. They were astounded at what he taught. He differed from anyone they had ever heard before. He didn't urge them to a new form of religion. He didn't urge them to give more money or attend more services. He didn't summon, but he did summon them to a greater commitment. He kept going back to their motives. He kept going back to what was deep inside. He said to them and he says to us that what matters is not the performance but the reality. He's interested about what's deep inside. They were amazed at what he was saying because they were also amazed at how he taught. He taught as one having authority, we read at the end of the parable, not as the teachers of the law. Those who people were used to hearing from were the highly educated. They knew their religion inside out. They had studied and learned all the opinions, but they didn't teach as if they had authority. In most of their teaching, they simply quoted experts. Listening to them was like reading an essay with one extremely large footnote, referencing this, referencing that, but not grinding it in reality. Jesus is completely different. Here is this young man. Here is this young, uneducated man. Here is this young man who is a carpenter. Here is this young man who is the son of God teaching in a radically different way. Stories matter, foundations matter, and if it is true for us as individuals that foundations and stories matter, we want to finally ask ourselves the question this morning, can it also be true of the church? This week, the General Assembly meets, and we have seen the statistics once again in the back of the blue book, membership falling, the numbers of families associated with PCI dropping below 100,000 for the first time. Maybe not a significant number or a magical number, but maybe a number to trigger some reflection. We read in the blue book, sharp drops in baptisms and a rising number of retired ministers now. I have to actually thank Alan Maven for these statistics on Facebook this morning because, as we all know, I'm not good with numbers, but he has carefully and detail-wise summed them up for us. But anyway, there has always been, I read in a blog this week, hard hand-wringing among religious folks. For decades, 
churches have been closing. For decades, we have heard the stories of Sunday schools having been shrinking and classes getting smaller. Today, we find ourselves in a situation where the economy has largely recovered, but where banks are still slow to offer loans, and where many companies have put things off or have stopped hiring. And churches, too, have followed suit in being hesitant to risk too much. Congregations turning inward rather than outward. But we're reminded this morning of the words of an old hymn that says, The church is not a building where people go to pray. It's not made out of sticks and stones. It's not made out of clay. We are the church, the body of our Lord, where all God's children, we have been restored. You can go to worship, but you cannot go to church. You, can find a, you cannot find a building that's alive no matter how you search. The church is not a business, a committee, or a board. It's not a corporation for the business of the Lord. We are the church, the body of our Lord. Perhaps we might do well as we have done this morning to read those words in Matthew chapter 16, where Jesus or where God and Jesus turn to Peter and say, and I tell you, you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. On this rock, I will build my church. Wise things are built on solid foundations. We the church, are not like the parable. We are not built on, stand, on sand. Our home, our church, is built on a rock, a rock on which Jesus says even the devil will not prevail against. This morning, church is not a survey or a statistical graph. It's not a scream or a chant or an altar call or a rant. The church is not denominations, bleeding money, and mismanagement. The church is not a battle about clerical collars or jeans. The church is an assembly established by Jesus himself, empowered by his Holy Spirit, that the gospel of Jesus may be heard and practiced throughout human history. The crumbling status, the crumbling of status quo Christianity is a good thing for Jesus, because he always detested the Pharisees. Those of us who remain, to us the challenge is clear this morning. Are we compelled by something altogether otherworldly and eternal? Because if we are, this morning we are called to dig deep. For a church that has lost its defining characteristics, we must define ourselves again as a house not of humans, but as a house which belongs to God and which stands even when other buildings crumble and close. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we realize once again the challenge of your word, how it speaks not only to our individual lives, but can also speak to the life of your church. This morning we pray that you would lead and guide us, that you would see ways in which in our lives we need to build on firmer foundations, ways in which we as a church can build on a deeper, solid rock, that we may bear witness and testimony to the truthfulness of who you are, the solidness of who you are, 
the faithfulness of who you are and the unchangingness of who you are. That even in the storms of life, we would still be able to cry that you are Lord of all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.